step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for another episode of Just a Bit Outside with your hosts, Stark and Macero. Way back! Blue Jays win it! We are live. We are feeling it on a great spring day. We can officially call this spring, right? No chance, man. It's like minus 20. <laughs> a little bit of snow on the ground, I guess. Still spring, though. We've, we're feeling it in the air, and we got lots of great sports that we'll touch on today, including... UNC versus Duke in the final four. Villanova takes on Kansas. Scotty Scheffler is the world number one. Tyreek Hill finds a new home. And the NHL playoff scenario is murky. But first, Mike, how was your week? Well, I'm thawing out. Another cold one here. Apparently, it's going to warm up later this week. I'll, I'll believe that when I feel it, not see it. But yeah, aside from that, you know, tried to fit in as much as I could this weekend with the basketball, uh, women's world's curling. Uh, our, our ladies placed third, a bronze medal. So uh, a good achievement for them there out in Prince George. And Canada qualifies for the World Cup and Italy awesome. doesn't. So uh, <laughs> a little bit of good and bad throughout the course of the sports week so so does that what does that mean like does that mean that you know everyone that usually puts a italy flag on their car will now put a canadian flag on their car i'd like to think so i will what do you do if they had both been in the tournament or happen to even play against each other well i'm canadian so i side with canada you know italy's a team i've kind of watched but uh you know, Canada's my home, and I'm really excited for them to be in the World Cup. The only knock I have with this one is it's going to be in November. So it's not like, you right. know, World Cup in the summer. It feels like a party. People are driving around and flags flying out the window. You know, not November, December. It's not really the the climate here. But put the car flag on, leave the window rolled up. Yeah, you know, there's going to be interesting situations once we do find out the groupings of, you know, Canada's going to have to play some other countries where there's usually people in Canada that root for those countries because Canada isn't in the tournament. So there'll be a couple sticky situations, I feel, once we find out who's in their grouping. I think you'll see a lot of dual flags right, on cars come November. Yeah, that'd be good, though. It'll be good. Well, for, for me, it was uh, we're kind of winding down on the hockey season for kids, and we decided to uh, have a nice 
parents versus kids practice on Friday night, something a lot of hockey teams do at the end of the year. Um, so it was, it was us parents and a couple siblings taking on the boys. And uh, first, first shift, Mike, I get out there pick up that puck i go coast to coast i put the puck right under the bar on this eight-year-old kid just to send a message that i came to play to let them know i meant business i mean i was always taught play like there's someone watching you for the first time and scouts could have been out there maybe they see me mike next thing you know i go from a little community rink in oakville up to the bright lights i had to still bring the my a game how did the children feel about that I got a couple slashes in the back of the ankles afterwards <laughs> and, uh, you know, a couple sticks. I'm sure some of the other dads are like, wow, Stark's going a little hard here. What's going on with this? But, hey, once I strap on those blades, you put that stick in my hand, I mean business. That's how I've been doing it since I was five, and I'm going to keep doing it till I'm um, 85. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're that dad. That dad, yeah, the the dad out there speeding up. But I, I was gassed after a couple shifts. You <laughs> you can't go hard like that, like uh, I used to anymore. But then you know, when I spent the rest of the weekend, like you said, watching a ton of great sports, was betting on some good sports, and I've been on my mybookie.com nonstop the last two weeks with the March Madness, and I've been cleaning up. It's been real nice. I figured out a nice system and it's been working. So I'm happy about my bets, my picks, but I wanted to share a couple unique hockey gambling stories and some wins. And usually it's bad beat stories that you share. And, and for some reason I was on the other end this time, I was able to get lucky and cash out. So on Friday night, Mike, I'm not sure if you saw this, the Winnipeg Jets were playing the Columbus Blue Jackets and I took the over six and a half total goals. So with less than a minute to go, the Jets were up 3-2 and the Blue Jackets pulled their goalie. So I'm rooting for a Blue Jackets goal to tie it up 3-3, which would force the overtime or shootout winner, which would put me over the six and a half. You following? Yep. Perfect. So the Jets score on an empty net from their own zone, shooting it all the way down with 17 seconds left. I'm sunk. I'm over. It's four to two. It just doesn't cut it. I lost the bet, essentially. But the ref waves off the goal and gives a slashing penalty to Jets defenseman Josh Morrissey. So I have life. All right. Now Columbus is going on the power play. Faceoff goes into the Jets zone. It's 3-2 now for the Jets. They take that goal off the board. And Columbus has the power play, as I mentioned. Faceoff goes back. Oliver Bjorkstand buries his 23rd of the year, ties the game up, and pushes my total over. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, as our boy Charlie used to say. Fair enough. Good for you. Yeah, great win. Jet, Jets are hot right now. Jets are hot right now. We're going to talk about them trying to see the playoffs. So here's the next one. All right, I'm riding off that high. I'm telling people we got to see hear this story, how I hit the over last night. So the NHL this year, for those that people haven't been really following or or that don't gamble on hockey, let's say, the odds have been pretty crazy. Teams, you know, they've been favored at like minus 350. And you know what? It's just not worth the juice to kind of bet on that. So I've been doing a lot of the totals. And usually, or in past years, last year even, a lot of the totals were about five and a half. That was the average over under total. But this year, the standard's been about six and a half, which, as I just mentioned, is a lot tougher and Sunday night, the Leafs were playing the Panthers, two of the top teams in the East. 
big goal scoring teams, questionable goaltending lately on both sides. Florida had their backup in. So the over under was set at seven. So I took the over plus 100. It's worth it. You know, worst case scenario, you push at the seven. I'm going to be watching the game, so I might as well put a little something on it. Didn't want to bet on the Leafs, scared of the way they've been playing. So I'll just take the over and enjoy the game. Leafs got a quick goal early on in the first minute. We're cruising. I like where things are going. The score is 3-2 Leafs going into the third period. So remember, I need a 3-3 tie that would at least get me the push because it would guarantee an overtime goal, which would get to seven. Both teams start playing shutdown hockey in the third. There's only the one goal from Mikheyev, and the Leafs are now up 4-2. to two. I'm pretty much screwed, right? There's there's no chance we're going to get to uh, over seven, to that eighth goal. Panthers pull their goalie with about three minutes left, and there's a little bit of hope, but they just pin the Leafs in their own zone, moving the puck around, and they can't score to make it 4-3, which would give me the push. Till our boy Austin Matthews grabs the puck just inside his own blue line with three seconds left, and he fires it down on the net. Why? Because he's going for the Rocket Richard trophy. He knows he needs every goal. He's got to make up for two games he just missed because of suspension. That puck crosses the line with .4 seconds left on the clock. His 48th goal. I get my push at seven. I'll take it. What a gambling adventure I had this weekend on those two games. Nice. Good for you, man. That a little long explanation. You could have just (laughs) said I won both games. I did. One was a push. One was a push. And maybe everyone fast forwarded, but you built the story. Very compelling. But for those that like to place a little money on some games, you get these rare wins. Or you get the bad beats. We've all heard about the, you know, the 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 last minute throwdown on a football game where a guy gets fumbles, he picks the defenseman, picks it up, and runs it in, and it costs people a cover. Happens all the time. Basketball, yep. the 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 team's down by ten points. The guy just shoots a three for no reason. It goes in, costs someone a <laughs> a, a cover. It's wild, but uh, it's fun. So get to mybookie.com and start playing along, uh, especially here in Ontario as things open up. It's great. Now, listen, you got to stick around for our T5 coming up after the break. We're jam-packed with sports and more great sports stories, so stick around right after this. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We have made it to the final four. And although it was not the most selected Final Four, it is the Blue Bloods of college basketball who made it. And that includes one of the biggest rivalries in the sport, which will be RT1. The stage is set for a legendary clash in the Final Four next Saturday as number two Duke will take on its hated rival number eight, North Carolina, for a spot in the national championship game. It is the 258th meeting between the Blue Devils and Tar Heels, but the first time they've played in the NCAA tournament. Mike, this might not be the matchup you were anticipating, but how excited are you to see it play out? I kind of wish it was the final, just given the rivalry, the fact that they split their season games this year. You know, Duke wins the first one, 87-67, and then the final game of the season – uh, final home game for Coach K and North Carolina beats him 94-81. Just feels like a final. I think that is going to be probably the most exciting game of the remaining three, I would think, for me as a neutral with this. But, I mean, UNC has been playing really well. You know, beat up Marquette pretty good in the first game. Get past Baylor. They were up big in that game. Had to beat him in overtime. Good game against UCLA. And then, you know, the Cinderella story with uh, with our friend St. Peter's ended there against the Tar Heels. Duke, on the other hand, you know, Cal State Fullerton, Michigan State, State, sorry, a good game against Texas Tech, which kind of busted my bracket on that side, and then a good win against Arkansas. So both teams are playing really well right now. Uh, the storyline, it's a rival. It's Coach K's farewell tour. You know, the stakes couldn't be higher, and it's crazy that this is the first time they're playing each other in the tournament. Yeah, I was shocked to hear that stat. I I can't believe they haven't. I guess maybe when they put the brackets out, they're in the same conference. They try not to put them close, but, you know, Duke's playing for Coach K here. They got embarrassed by UNC a few weeks ago in his last home game, uh, 94-81. to Oddly enough, I believe it was that win by UNC that even got them into the tournament or got them over the bubble, kind of, and got them in as a solid team. Uh, it's Coach K's 12th Final Four appearance, and Duke is playing some great basketball right now. They shot 70.8% from the floor in the second half of the Sweet 16 win over Texas Tech, and they dominate Arkansas in the Elite Eight. Their offense is clicking. It might prove to be a little bit too much for the Tar Heels, but both of these teams seem to be offensive teams that play a fast pace of basketball, which I do agree with you. Of the last three games, this one's probably going to be the most exciting. UNC, on the other hand, you got Coach Davis. It's his first Final Four, so a little bit different on the experience level compared to Coach K. But it's a, it was an unusual path to winning the East. Beating that number one Baylor was huge, and sometimes there's a letdown after you knock off a, a huge upset like that and knock off a number one. Uh, UCLA, they beat them. They were in last year's Final Four. Lots of people didn't see that coming. And then they punched their ticket against the Cinderella team. So it kind of hit all the different boxes, beating a number one, beating a team from last year, and then beating a Cinderella to get there. And now... And now they have to beat their biggest rival in Duke. UNC, they scored over 90 points in their first two games against Marquette and Baylor. Those are big numbers in college basketball. 
as I mentioned, they're an offensive team that I believe can keep up with Duke if they stay out of foul trouble, which has kind of been a little bit of concern for them throughout the tournament. Yeah, I, I you know, it's easy to say now, obviously, but I'd be interested to see if Purdue got past St. Peter's, how they'd match up. I think, right. you know, it may have been... It just seems St. Peter's ran out of gas, and rightfully so. I mean, 15 seed into the Elite Eight for the first time. They were playing with house money, as they like to say. But And it it was it was sorry, Mike, it was a great story to kind of follow oh, along. For sure. And and one that when it goes into that second weekend, so after you get through the first two rounds, it's just that story keeps building about this small school from New Jersey with a, a small student enrollment now able to beat a couple of these big schools. Yeah, for sure. It kind of you know, reminded me somewhat of the Loyola Chicago story. Right. And, you know, that's what that's what makes this tournament so fun, those stories. You get your perennial powerhouses in there, but these teams is what makes it exciting. And, I mean, the Peacocks go all the way to the Elite Eight. Good for them. And you know what? They're going to forever be remembered as the 15 seed that made it to the Elite Eight, knocking off two massive powerhouses in Kentucky and Purdue. Will any of these kids get drafted? Probably not maybe a tryout as a token, maybe a chance to play pro in Europe, but at least they will have these two weeks that will be the highlight of their basketball careers. And if I'm one of them, I'm taking it because what a ride it must have been. Another school I did want to mention, Mike, because I talked about them in the pre in the pre-show when we were we were talking about March Madness coming up in the seating, and that's Gonzaga. Uh, you know, they were the number one overall team coming in. They looked had uh, to be one of the best teams and 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 destined to win it. But as I've mentioned, they just don't play good enough competition leading into this tournament, and it costs them. They looked over their over their heads in all three games they played. They're a veteran team. They obviously had plans of winning, but all the games that they played were close at the halftime. They were up two on number 16, Georgia State at the half. They were down 10 to Memphis, number nine Memphis, able to come back and win that. And then finally, they were down by three against number four, Arkansas, who took it to them in the second half. Gonzaga couldn't have three straight comebacks. And it's just because they aren't used to those intense matchups. Being the number one overall seed should not be their main focus anymore. It's great to say that going into the tournament, but it's not producing them wins. Gonzaga needs to structure their schedule a little bit tougher throughout the season or or look to make a conference change. Yeah, interesting point. I mean, and I kind of, you know, again, shows you my level of expertise with this. I, I was surprised Arkansas won. I thought Gonzaga would have fallen to a Texas Tech or Duke uh, on that side. But, um, you know, Arkansas beat Vermont in their first game by four points. That was a real close one. And New Mexico State gave them a game as well. I think they they got by by five. So going in, I was like, okay, Gonzaga should get past these guys, but they didn't. And that, you know, that's the way it goes. It uh, never goes to according to plan, that's for sure. UNC has six all-time titles while Duke has five. But the other Final Four is nothing to sneeze at as both Kansas and Villanova have three apiece, and that will be our T2. Kansas was the only number one seed to find its way into the Final Four, winning their first four games by a combined 54 points. 
They'll be in tough against a Villanova Wildcats team that is scrappy and shoot better than any team left in the tournament. Jay Wright will be in his fourth Final Four in school history, but will be missing point guard Justin Moore, who ruptured his Achilles in the final minutes against Houston. Mike, will Villanova have the depth to overcome this loss? Well, we're going to find out. I mean, they, they've been playing well throughout the tournament. Um, Jay Wright, obviously, actually his fifth appearance now. This this marks appearance five in the Final Four. Two national titles as head coach there most recently in 2018. And that's the last time both of these programs made the Final Four was the 2018 season. So uh, a couple years out, obviously we missed the one due to COVID, but uh, two really good experienced coaches, Jay Wright, Bill Self, and two really good teams. I mean, I... I think this one's too close to call for me. Both have played similar good competition in the tournaments here. Houston, Miami presented some different games. Obviously, Kansas won pretty comfortably as things went on. But, uh, you know, I, I think flip a coin for this one. Yeah, this is going to be a, a good matchup as well. I think Villanova might have had the toughest path to the Final Four out of the four teams left, Ohio State, Michigan, and the last second shot from Houston that didn't fall that for a second I thought it was going in. Their free throw shooting has been the difference as all five starters have been above 75%. That's massive in college basketball. Some of these kids, when you watch them, just can't even hit these free throws down the stretch, and it's, it's killing teams, but Villanova seems to be hitting them. It's helping them out. Colin Gillespie, he'll have to take over in Moore's absence and play the role as the key ball handler as well as hitting the big shots when they need them but I think he could step up and play a big game but I just don't know about that depth my fear for the Wildcats is they will be playing on their heels to start the game they'll get down early but without that that depth those those extra guys coming off the bench to really help out can they get back in the game I'm just not sure Kansas on the other hand this team deserved the number one seed, unlike Gonzaga we talked about coming into the tournament hot. Kansas had a few players that uh, of their own that were coming back from injuries late in the season. They put them into the mix. It helped them get that, that overall uh, number one seed in their region. Remy Martin battled a knee injury all year, but he was pumped to play in the tournament after transferring from Arizona State. He took over against Miami as the team's main ball handler and leader. He was out there running all the plays and helping this team get to the to the Final Four. This team has depth, and they have a, the ability to walk to the national title game. No teasing needed here, but uh, I like Kansas Jayhawks in this one to walk all over the Wildcats. Are you sure? Because it doesn't sound like you do. Positive. Yeah, I mean... Vill I agree with you. I think Villanova had the tougher path playing some Big Ten teams there. Um, and then Houston, of course, who were in the Final Four last year. So, you know, four very established programs that have won multiple championships are in the Final Four. So, um, you know, I, I really think both games are a toss-up right now. It's going to be good. From the number one seed left to the new number one in the golf world rankings, and that will be our T3. Scotty Scheffler had to battle all week just to get into the Sweet 16 of the WGC match play event at Austin Country Club before defeating Horschel, Power, Johnson, and Kisner to pick up his third win in his last five starts to now be the number one player in the world. Mike, is this one of the greatest runs to number one in golf history? Look at the three tournaments he's won. The Waste Management, which is the... You know the party, the party destination of the PGA Tour, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which is a very prestigious event, 
And the, the match play, the WGC match play. Three very big tournaments. He wins at, at home in Texas. Going to take the week off and get ready for Augusta. And I don't know how you don't put his name amongst maybe the top 10 favorites to compete in a couple weeks in Georgia. But very impressive, as you mentioned, to to fight with Matthew Fitzpatrick in a sudden death situation just to get into the knockouts. And then from there, avenges his loss last year. So a, a great story, and he's he's hot. Yeah, he had to play six playoff holes against Fitzpatrick on Friday just to see who would get into that Sweet 16. He was he was lucky to move on. Uh, he beats last year's champ, who he lost to in the finals, Billy Horschel, then finished off power before playing former number one DJ in the semis. I mean, it was a great back-and-forth match that saw Scheffler go up five on DJ, climbing back to bring it to within one before losing three and one on 17. So DJ seems to be getting his groove back in perfect timing two weeks out from the Masters. But Scheffler's been the best iron player on tour since the Ryder Cup last fall. He hits it long like all the players do now. But he doesn't need 300-plus yard drives to win. That's why he's be, he's going to be the favorite going into Augusta. My only concern is his chipping around the green. We saw it on the 12th hole against Kisner in the championship match. Uh, he has an eagle chip from about 15 feet. He flubbed it into the bunker. A little bit of a nervous stab at it. But you can tell that his confidence is a little bit low around the green when it comes to chipping compared to from the fairway at 100 yards out. But, you know, he didn't really even have to worry. He actually drained the shot from the bunker for a birdie to tie the hole. So he's got skills all over the place. He's he's playing great. It's it's uh, it's nice to see. And that, that's another young name that we can add to a big chunk of of players going into the Masters. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, riding the confidence of three wins and five starts. You know, he'll take the week off and that's fine. And uh, like I said, I, I, I don't see how he's not among the favorites to to make some noise in a couple weeks. I, I love the match play, by the way, if I could just talk about the tournament. It's it's once a year, which is perfect. I like it. Uh, it's perfect timing around March Madness, so they have the brackets. They changed it into a group format to start a few years back, so players weren't just playing one match and then getting knocked out and having to leave. I like that. You play all three, and then the winner from your group moves into the Sweet 16. The course kind of has water all around. It's almost like a little winding river, so there's boats all over the place. There's people in bikinis. There's guys with coolers of beer they're buzzing around the greens to get a good look at some of these golfers putting it seems like a, a fun spot to watch some golf which is interesting and a different look it's tough to get out of your group though like i mentioned playing these three match plays you got to have some stamina to get through it and then you got to play four matches in the final two days to win it all but match place it's it, match play is just a different beast you got to take advantage of your competitors mistakes you got to play the course the right way to win the holes and you know not shooting the lowest score always wins sometimes it's just putting the ball in the right spot and staying out of trouble to give yourself a chance at par that might get you the win on the hole. Look at Kisner, a guy that doesn't drive the ball very far, but he's great with his low irons and he can putt lights out. Yeah, for sure. And it, it you know, when you think about playing, not that it is remotely similar, but I guess the one comparison I would draw is, you know, when you play in a tournament, a best ball tournament or whatever, and you have four guys take a tee shot, you usually have one or two guys in your group that can you know, hit far, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to be in play. So I always usually pull out the old trusty three wood and make sure we're in the fairway. So like you said, it's, 
you know, it's scrambling, it's setting yourself up to make, you know, good shots, clean shots, and not necessarily the score, just be better than your opponent. Yeah. And Kisner, as I mentioned, he seems to be great on match play. I'm a big Kisner guy. He loves this tournament. Uh, He lost in the final now twice. He's won it once in 2019, bouncing back after previously losing the year before. He's 38. He can't really contend in the big major events anymore because he doesn't have that distance off the tee, but he knows where his game works and he's held. He's had a hell of a career, including the 1.32 million he just won this weekend. He now has a career total of 30 million that's a hell of a career i'll take that life this ain't no hobby as kevin likes to say welcome to miami no i'm not going to talk about will smith it's the miami dolphins making a splash with a big trade and that will be our t4 Last week, the Kansas City Chiefs sent one of their biggest offensive weapons, Tyreek Hill, to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for five draft picks. Well, the Thursday night broadcast crew is named and the Lions get the hard knocks. Mike, did the Dolphins give up too much for Hill? I mean, first and a second, and then, you know, the next three picks are are kind of third day picks, fourth through sixth round. So... Kansas City came out and said, you know, it was strictly a salary cap issue. They couldn't afford to keep him, I guess. And he goes to Miami between Miami and the Jets and um, goes to Miami. I get, that's his home. So it's a homecoming for Tyreek. But you look at their their weapons now in Miami. They got Tyreek Hill, Waddle, Parker, uh, just signed Cedric Wilson from Dallas. And they got Mike Kosicki at tight end, who's pretty solid. So... The Dolphins are, you know, quietly building a pretty good arsenal of receiving options. And they picked up Chase Edmonds, uh, running back who was in Arizona, who was also very good out of the backfield catching. So Dolphins are making some good moves. Do you put any belief into the rumor that Tom Brady wants to play for the Miami Dolphins? I saw that and I th- I think it was the reporter, the name escapes me, but I think he was on the fact that Tampa was possible for Tom originally a few years ago. Uh, Miami so th- was a, a for him a few years ago. Okay, but I don't know if it was he predicted him going to Tampa and that's okay. where people kind of drew towards. I may have got that wrong, I'm not sure. But, you know, the way this offseason has went – Nothing really surprises me anymore. The Adams trade, I was like, okay, I'm genuinely surprised here. When Tyreek got traded, I'm like, you know, it's just another chapter in this offseason. It's an unreal offseason. I I can't remember one like it for the NFL. But, you know, clearly there was a disagreement between the Chiefs and Hill on what he was actually worth going forward. The Chiefs had to make a resource allocation decision and they decided to move on from Hill, which kind of gave them, I think, $20.4 million in cap space. They used it to sign Scandling. So they, they were able to keep one player, at least in this case, And Hill was in his final year of his deal, and he was due for an extension. So the Chiefs had to make a decision this offseason. Option one, trade him now, get some value, which I believe they got some good value with all those picks, two in the top 50 coming up this year. Option two was let him play out his final year of the deal and then let him walk, which is fine if you win a Super Bowl. But if you don't win and he's walking away for nothing, it's, it's a big hit to your team and your organization. I like big teams making choices that are right for the team. 
If that means throwing an individual overboard like this, I'm fine with it. Look at the Chicago Blackhawks. They won the Stanley Cup in 2010, and they were like, we got to get rid of this guy, this guy, and that guy, rejig the team a little bit, sign the right players, and they bounced back and come and came on to win the Stanley Cup two more years in 2013 and 15. So some teams got to do it to survive and keep their big dogs and continue to win, and I think that's what the Chiefs did here. Yeah, New England, the Patriots, during their you know Super Bowl runs, were good at that moving on from guys. It's like, how could they move on from this guy? And then there they are the next year contending. So it, it's tough business, but, um, you know, Tyreek gets his money and goes to Miami. It's going to be interesting come fantasy season, how this may affect the stock. Now Tyreek's playing with Tua as opposed to Patrick Mahomes, but I mean, still a premier player and we'll see what happens. It's just, like I said, another chapter in what is this off season. And continuing on, uh, Thursday Night Football, now on Prime, they made their announcement of who's going to be on their broadcast team. Longtime NFL play-by-play announcer Al Michaels and veteran ESPN analyst Kirk Herbstreet. They'll be the new broadcast team on Thursday night on Prime, which will be a little bit different. Michaels was at NBC the past 16 years, I believe, even called the last Super Bowl before moving on. Some thought the 78-year-old might retire, but it looks like he wants to continue on his career. I'm okay with that. He's got a great voice, iconic. He's called some of the most amazing sport events, Miracle on Ice back in uh, 1980 for the U.S. team. Herb Street, he's a former Ohio State quarterback. He's been on ESPN College Game Day for the longest time. Seems like an okay fit if he wants to move into the NFL. Works for me. Prime needs some names right now. They need some names if they're going to make this work, a streaming service. This obviously isn't the the long-term solution with Michaels being 78 years old. You're not going to have, you know, your Buck Aikman team for a long time coming here, but it's a good start and something they could build off, I believe. Yeah, a, you know, a guy that's been involved for many years, a credible name, and it just he's the guy they wanted if, you know, reports are are accurate that that's who they wanted from the get-go and then, you know, once Joe made the move to Monday Night Football, you kind of felt it was going to be Thursday night for Al. And Kirk Herbstreet, I mean, has done some great stuff with the NCAA on ESPN. He's actually going to stay there and continue his college football. Uh, I think he just re-signed with ESPN, so he's going to do a bit of both. They have 15 games on Prime, obviously don't have the opener, and I think the other game they don't have is the uh, Thursday night Thanksgiving game later in November. So 15 games, they paid, uh, they're paid paying a billion dollars a year Ooh. over 11 years. So it's good. I mean, I, I like I like the broadcast teams. You know, you got a good team Thursday night. Sunday night football's good with Tarico and Collinsworth. You got a good crew Monday with Buck and Aikman. CBS has their prime team. We're going to find out. I'm sure eventually who is going to be the new team on Fox, but uh, you know, as football fans, it, it's good. I, I like I like the broadcast teams. Good, yeah. good work. And the other thing the NFL announced this week was who's going to be on Hard Knocks come training camp this year. And you know what? I love documentaries about sports. Uh, I like how they follow them around. They show how they prepare for the season. Last year, the Cowboys was awesome. You got to see their amazing facility, how their superstars kind of gelled together, not to mention the no-name guys that were on the roster that were trying to battle to make the team. That's always a cool story. I like seeing that. I just don't know what Detroit 
will give us. They're a bad team with a bad quarterback and no real star presence, really. Plus, their training camp is in beautiful Allen Park, Michigan. I mean, I'll still watch because I'm a sucker for it, but I don't know how good it'll be. Dan Campbell's a character. The Lions head coach, he's a good quote. So I think he's going to bring a lot of excitement to that. That'll be good. They have a high pick this year too. So, you know, probably some focus on there, but, uh, you know, the lovable Lions. And then the only other thing I'll mention on the football side, the Bills announced today, Monday, you know, uh, $1.4 billion stadium in Orchard Park, signed a 30-year lease with the city. So, you know, good bit of business. The, The city's kicking in. It's going to be publicly funded as well ensures the Bills stay in in the city of Buffalo, which is good. Um, so good for the Bills. Again, new stadium anticipating the 2026 season. So they'll stay at their current home there uh, for the next few years. NHL teams are now less than 20 games away from their postseason, and teams are jockeying for positions, and that will be our T5. The East knows the eight teams that will make it, but no one knows who they will play or if they will even get home ice. While the West, the top teams have locked their spots, the wild card is still undecided as teams look to just make it to the dance. Mike, will your Golden Knights even play a playoff game this year? I I really don't know. Right now, I'd say yes. We'll see what happens. It's really tight. And you know, the funny thing is, I think we talked about this and you mentioned off the top here, the Eastern Conference, you know who the eight teams are. And sometimes that can be a little boring because it's like there's not going to be any team making it above that line. But the good thing about that is, as you've mentioned, nobody knows where they're going to finish one through eight, realistically. You like Florida, Carolina, probably one and two. After that, I mean, it's all open. Whereas the West, aside from Colorado, maybe Calgary, it's it's a who's who. So my question to you as a Leaf fan, yes, if you had to pick right now, Stark, who do you want to play round one? If I'm picking who I want the Leafs to play in the first round, I think it's Boston. They don't have a clear goalie and their defense is not what it used to be. Tampa Bay's got Vasilevsky. Florida's got Bobrovsky. Those two can win a series on their own. It's going to be a tough battle no matter who they play. Tampa Bay, Toronto, Boston, they're all within one point. One team will get home ice in the first round and have to play one of the other two teams, while the third team will slip into the wildcard spot and most likely will actually have to play Florida, the other team in the Atlantic. In my mind, the four best teams in the East are in the Atlantic, and two of them will be gone after the first round. I hate this format. I think it needs to be changed, rejigged, 1-8 to eight, or even 1-16 to 16 is what I actually like. Boston's been the best team in the NHL for about a month now. They're 8-1-1 one and one in their last 10. We know that Toronto's struggling right now against bad teams, Montreal on Saturday, but they get up for big games as they showed against Florida on Sunday. Least fans, be prepared for a stressful first round no matter who it's against. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I I don't really know what to say right now. I think there's going to be a lot of fluctuation. Most teams have, what, 15 to 17 games left here over the next few weeks. So some good races in the East. Like we said, the West is a bit of a different story as teams are fighting for their playoff lives, whereas the East, it's where are we finishing? 
Yeah, the wild card in the West is wild. Uh, Vegas holds the last spot at 76 points with Dallas, Winnipeg, Vancouver, all within three. I mean, but Vegas has been struggling and it's all connected to not having Leonard and Nett. Sounds like he might not even play the rest of the season, regular season maybe, maybe come back for playoffs, but who knows if he even make it there. They went all in this year with this team by adding Jack Eichel. They screwed themselves by not trading Dadunov or, or messing up that trade, and now there's a chance they miss the playoffs and they kind of have to start some retooling in Vegas. That could be a big concern for them after their splash into the NHL over the last four years. St. Louis, that's a team for me that's been real bad of late. They hold the first wildcard spot at 79 points, but Bennington, he's kind of lost his number one role to Vili Husso, and they only have three wins in their last 10. So are they going to be the team that maybe slips out? I like Dallas's game. They've been producing wins, and if Winnipeg can have their Stars scoring while Hellebuck gets his uh, self back to Vesna form, I like the Stars and Jets maybe to slide into those bottom two wildcard spots. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how things shake out here. You know, between, well, I mean, Vegas and Winnipeg is two points, but for them to catch St. Louis, they're only five back in that side as well. So for a top three spot in their in their division. So, you know, lots to play for here over the next few weeks. And it's, uh, it, it's good, like, you know, it, much different than the East, but they're very different battles and it should be interesting hopefully vegas can can hold on and get in yeah and speaking of battles i just wanted to mention too the battle of alberta this weekend saturday <laughs> it was a, it was a great game those two teams put on offensive show the flames beat the oilers nine to five i had the over six and a half by the way it hit early in the second period Edmonton, like a lot of teams right now, I think I've mentioned it three or four times just in this little segment here, they're having goaltending issues, even though their offense is, is clicking. Dreisaitl, he had the dreaded three goals, one assist for four points, but was minus four on the night. Oh, that hurts big time. The Oilers are only one point ahead of Vegas for the third spot in the Pacific and only two points uh, away from being out of the playoffs completely. So there's still that dynamic too, where one of these wildcard teams like a Vegas, they get hot, they could bump up to the third spot in the division. I mean, Calgary's claimed to be the king in the Pacific right now. They'll be challenging any team in the West. I, I like it. I'm hoping though, I'm hoping and begging that somehow we get the Battle of Alberta in the playoffs first or second round. It'd be great to see seven games of that. Yeah, it's it's entirely possible. I I still stand by our pick from a co collectively. You know, we agreed on that from a couple of weeks ago. Calgary out of the West, good team, real good, good team. team. Yeah, play a good playoff game. Now that finishes off our T five. We're gonna move into our golf picks. We're uh, going into the WGC match play. I was up thirty three to ten. Almost sounds like Mike doesn't have any uh, goaltending either. But out of the six players we selected, only one pick, John Rahm, made it to the Sweet 16. That was Mike's pick. He gets awarded one point. So the score is now 33 to 11 for myself. And this week, they're playing the Valero Texas Open at TPC San Antonio, where last year, Jordan Spieth got his first win in four-plus years. This is the last chance to get yourself added to the list of invitees to the Masters. So, Mike, you got first pick. Who are you picking? 
just chipping away a little more each week. That's it's a long game, Stark. It's a long, long golf season, my friend. You got a plan. And we're coming out hot. Corey Connors. Ooh, played very well this past week. 2019 champ. Yep. I'm going to go with the favorite. I, I like this guy for the Masters. I know I've said it on a bunch here, but he just needs to get going and maybe a win or a good showing here. I'll have some confidence going into the Masters. I'll take Rory McIlroy. He hurt me at the Arnold Palmer. So. Of course. I'm uh, going off the board here a little bit. See if you recognize this name. Charlie Hoffman. Ooh. So Charlie has not missed the cut in 15 tournaments at Valero. One in 20, what was it, 2016? Runner-up in 2019, 2021. The all-time leader, best score, most money won at the Valero Open. So Charlie Hoffman. He's uh, also the, one of those guys that, uh, you know, the end of the day on Thursday at the Masters, he's always got his name in the yeah. leaderboard, but by Sunday he's nowhere to be found. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to stick with my master's theme and someone who had some great success last year actually winning it. I'm going to go with Hideki Matsuyama. Coming back off injury. Had to withdraw from the players. He's you know, set himself up. That's good. Uh, third pick. Again, I'm going to go with maybe a bit of a different one here. Keegan Bradley. Playing very well, but getting a lot of criticism about his putting and how long it takes him to putt. I hope you don't take two and a half minutes to to miss a putt by five feet. No, just step up and miss. I'm going to miss regardless. So just get over with. So I got the last pick. I'm going to do the, you know, pick with your heart situation here. You know, we all like this guy. He's only playing for one reason and one reason only. And that's to make it to the Masters because he doesn't have a spot. He's got a ton of money. He doesn't even need to play golf anymore. I'll go with Ricky Fowler. Come on, buddy win this one and get into that field at the masters win the masters and then be an all-time legend putting on your orange puma hat this weekend no now coming up after the break we get serious with here's the deal so stick around we'll be right back here's the deal Mike and I both have topics that we pushed to get into our T5, but the other refused in a heated text exchange. We settled on some alone time to get our point across in this week's edition of Here's the Deal. Mike, the floor is yours. I wasn't really that heated. I just said this is what we're going to do. But good storytelling. Canada... Men's soccer beat Jamaica 4-0 on Sunday at BMO Field in Toronto to end a 36-year drought and put the men's national team into the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar this November. Canada has won 14 of 19 qualifying matches, losing only once and sit atop the table in CONCACAF with one more game to go. But it doesn't matter. Canada is one of 32 teams that will compete for this year's World Cup. Canada will learn its group and opponents this coming Friday when the draw will be held, and then we'll see the course of action from there. Canadian coach John Herdman said after the match, Canada is a football country, and he couldn't be more right. To paraphrase, you have Alfonso Davies winning Champions League, players playing in Europe, and I would add in MLS as well. Teams have done a great job building Canadian talent. 
young talent coming up through the ranks in academy systems at the grassroots level throughout the country. The women's team won the gold medal at this summer's Olympics. What more could you ask for? And I totally agree with Coach Herdman. In four years under Herdman, the Canadian team has won 29 of 40 matches he's coached. They were ranked 73rd going into qualification March 2021, now sit 33rd. And I'm sure that number will continue to rise. Very special moment, very pleased for the players, the staff, fans, everyone involved in Canadian soccer. It is a day that Canadian soccer fans will never forget. And now we go to the World Cup and Canada's going to make some noise there. They're not just going to be there. They're going to compete, and they're going to do a hell of a job. I believe that. Before I turn over to you, Stark, 1986 was the last time they were in the World Cup. I was one turning two, so I don't remember much. However, I did write down some of the sporting champions of that year. Let's see uh, Let's see if what we can remember. The Super Bowl in 1986. You know who won that year? No idea. The Chicago Bears. Oh, 46-10 or New England. Big Bears fan. World Cup. Argentina defeated West Germany 3-2. And that was also the tournament with the infamous Hand of God goal by Diego Maradona against England in the quarterfinals. World Series. You know who won that? That was the 86 was the Mets. Yes. In seven games over the Boston Red Sox. Bill Buckner in game six. NCAA March Madness, keeping up with the theme, Louisville beat Duke 72-69 in the final. The NBA championship, Boston Celtics beat Houston Rockets. In boxing, Mike Tyson knocks out Trevor Burbick in the second round to become the youngest champion ever at 20 years old in four months. Grey Cup, Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Masters, Jack Nicklaus at the age of 46, which I think was his last I think so. major. Yep. U.S. Open, Ray Floyd, British Open, Greg Norman, the PGA Championship, Bob Tway, Stanley Cup, Montreal beats Calgary. The Canadian Prime Minister was Brian Mulroney. So there's a little look back in 1986, the last time the Canadian men's national team was in a World Cup. But congrats to them and uh, good luck. This week, it was announced by the Toronto Blue Jays that they would be privately funding an overhaul of the 33-year-old Rogers Center over the next two off-seasons to update the lower bowl and concourse in hopes that it will make the stadium sustainable for the next 10 to 15 years while plans are made for their future. Fans have longed for a new home for the Jays and have wanted open-air stadiums down by the water, similar to ballparks in Baltimore, San Francisco, and Pittsburgh. But here's the deal. The Rogers Center is in the perfect location and is the right fit for this team and this city. Yes, from the outside, it looks like a cement box with a white top that can pop off. But inside, when there are 50,000 screaming fans, there is no better place to watch a ball game. People always talk about visiting Fenway Park or Wrigley Field and how great it would be to have a ballpark like that. But ask any local in Boston or Chicago if they enjoy going to those stadiums 10 to 20 times a year, and the answer is no. It's a dump. Old seats, bad sight lines, and even longer concession lines. The Rogers Center is in the heart of downtown. 
It is easy for people from east, west, and north of the city to come in for a game and leave shortly after. If the park was down on the water, it would be a nightmare to get to and forget about 50,000 leaving after a late extra inning playoff game. When Skydome was built, it was one of the most amazing stadiums in the league. And yes, it is outdated now, but it still has history and a unique flavor that is special to me. I am all for upgrades and shaping the stadium they want, but keep it where it is and keep that feeling of it being our stadium. Now sign up today with my bookie and use promo code JABO to make your first deposit. Follow our picks with a chance to win only at mybookie.com. And each week, Mike and I will give you our best bet of the week to help you make some cash. March Madness is killing our locks, so you might want to fade us, but you never know. Mike, I think I still have the T this week, so here's my final four pick. With more out for the Wildcats, I feel the Jayhawks' depth will be too much for the sharpshooters of Villanova. That is why I will take the Kansas City Jayhawks minus four to cover the spread and go on to the national championship game. Nice. I may have to pull the two TV method, the Starkman method uh, Saturday night. It's WrestleMania weekend. I'd even touch on that. I'm sure the whole show next week will be devoted to that. But anywho, Saturday night, I'm going to take the other game. Duke-UNC, I agree. I think Duke is on a you know, a team of destiny run, if you will. They're favored by four, and I like them to win that by four over the Tar Heels and put themselves in the national championship game. So Duke-Blue Devils, minus four. Duke and Kansas in the finals, that'd be great. Now, as the uh, wrestling expert on the podcast, Mike, I have to ask you this question. Um, You know the ins and outs of how the wrestling business works, how people are moving in the ring and how they have to time everything out perfectly. I have to ask, did you see the Will Smith slap to Chris Rock face last night at the Oscars? I did, yeah. Was that the perfect wrestling smack with movement and everything, or was that real? I don't know. I, I've seen the theories online, real, fake. I, It looked real to me. It looked real to me, man. That was a smack right across yeah. the face. I'm surprised there was no uh, counter after that by Chris Rock, but better, I guess, to let it slide. But it made me think of wrestling, right? That's what happens, right? Guy comes out of the stands, goes right up to the biggest WWE champion. The music hits, smack, right across. That's how things get started. Good, good uh, WrestleMania kickoff, I guess. They should have the two of them open up WrestleMania with a match. How about that? You never know. Logan Paul's going to be there, so there's celebrities showing up all the time. Okay, this isn't on the the schedule here, but let's give it. We got some time. Give me a quick rundown. What's the big matches for WrestleMania coming up that we should be prepared for? Well, Ronda Rousey against Charlotte Flair, SmackDown Women's Championship. That's a big one. That's Ric Flair's daughter, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, Becky Lynch is defending the Raw Women's title against Bianca Belair. That should be a good one. Uh, the big main event, I think it's a two-night event now. So Sunday night is the big one. Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, title unification match, whatever they're calling it. So yeah, it's actually a three-night. Well, no, sorry, two nights. Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday night. So, Where is it located? 
This year they're in Dallas, Texas at Jerry's uh, World. Jerry World. Yeah. Holy yeah. smokes. And it sounds like Stone Cold's coming back. Possibility of a big guy debuting who used to be in AEW. So the pageantry of WrestleMania. It doesn't feel the same as it did when I was a kid, but uh, when I was at Skydome for WrestleMania six, but uh, always, always must watch every year. Love it. Maybe the Hulkster will come in, maybe Sting from the rafters. You never know. Sting's in AEW, man. What about the Hitman? Can he come out, maybe give some glasses to a couple of young kids? <sighs> That'd be awesome. It'd be great. Now, hey, we want to hear from you. Make sure to comment on the pod wherever you download your podcast and let us know your thoughts on Twitter and Instagram. We would love the feedback. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at J-A-B-O-Pod, thestringer.ca, and find Mike and I on our Twitter to see our thoughts on all the sports throughout the week, including WrestleMania. Please subscribe, like, and rate our show, and do us a favor and tell a friend to listen. And as always, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Yeah.